It is always a privilege to be here. It truly, truly is. And um, the spirit is just moving in today's worship service. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor John, for that uh, unplanned prayer time. I just love it when the spirit moves us to do things like that. Uh, let's start, as we usually do, by praying this uh, prayer that we pray together. together. Ready? O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the people. Build bridges and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us to say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let me just give an extra prayer over the service time. Father, may you be known to us today through your word, God. May your presence be mighty here today, Father, and on that mountain in Running Springs with our men, Father, as they are worshiping you together um, as brothers, Father. Reveal something to them today, Lord. God, I pray that you be with me as I minister to your people through your word, God. That it might not be my words, Lord, but yours. Just pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, as most of you know, a couple years ago, our family went on a three-month sabbatical. I still have stories from that three months that I still keep bringing up. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. But I remember the day before we left for the sabbatical, I was standing in Pastor Johnny's office, and he's got these books that I've never seen before because they're not ours. And I said, Pastor Johnny, can I borrow a couple of these? And he said, yeah, sure. So I took a couple, and one of them is this book called With by Sky Tiffany. And this is just one of those books that, you know, I'd be reading it, and after a paragraph, it didn't matter where Albert was or what he was doing, I would pounce him and say, oh my goodness, Albert, you have to hear this. Whether he was in the bathroom, or if he was sleeping, or driving, whatever he was doing. I, I, and I was really rejoicing, because at the time, I was praying to the Lord, God, what do you want the women's retreat theme to be? And when I called up a couple of people and I said, I found the theme, and this was the book that we we're going to base our women's retreat on. But Albert said, I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm going to make an executive decision because this is so good. I want to share it with the whole church and not just the women. So it's been two years. Um, so that being said, I'm excited about the sermon series that we started last week, and it's called With. 
If you were not here last week, I really encourage you to listen to our uh, website, the, the sermons that are up on the website. Pastor Albert, he kind of gives the, the premise of what this book is about, and I'm praying that this series will make us take a good look at our relationship with God. And perhaps through these words, through these thoughts, that we would redefine that relationship and perhaps in a way that will bring more life and joy into that relationship with God. So let me just give you a brief general uh, description of what this book is about because if you, if you weren't here last week or if you have forgotten, none of this is going to make sense to you. Um, so as Pastor Albert shared last week, Jathani, he uses four postures kind of uh, that describes a distorted relationship with God, something that we need to be wary of as uh, believers, as followers of Jesus. And what I wanted to do today is kind of show you how that kind of plays out or how it played out in my life, how these distortions surfaced or, you know, admittedly sometimes still surface in my relationship with God. So what are these four postures? We have under, over, from, and for. So it kind of describes our relationship with God when we uh, have a relationship where we are living under God, living over God, living from God, and living for God. So what does this mean? Okay, living under God. So I grew up with really strict parents, and my relationship with them is totally different now. But as I was a child, I remember always being in constant anxiety and sometimes even fear that I would disappoint them. And even though our relationship is so good, thank you, Jesus, for that, I find that from my upbringing, those feelings of constant fear and anxiety kind of transferred over to my relationship with God. So I used to feel that as a Christian that I was never good enough, that, that I didn't pray enough, or I didn't read the Bible enough, or I didn't serve him enough, or, or perhaps that I wasn't even holy enough to be called a follower of Jesus. You know, I, I, I would even become legalistic. My whole relationship with God was based on legalism. You know, I shouldn't do this. I should do this, right? And if I wanted to stay in God's good graces, this is what I needed to follow, this narrow path. So that is living under God. What about living over God? Something else that I've shared at the, at the pulpit is... Uh, after I graduated from college, I moved over to Korea and lived there for about a couple of years. And uh, I was teaching English there and meeting people all over the world. Uh, let me tell you, I was out of that Christian bubble of my youth. Uh, I was meeting new people. I was learning about very worldly things, uh, other religious perspectives, alternate worldviews. And I felt that my version of God was just not big enough. And I was going through some stuff during that time. And it, it made me believe that God wasn't even big enough for my life. So what did I do? I took over. Right? I took 
control. I, I watched my own back, right? And God took me out of that phase with some very hard life lessons. But even now, I see myself kind of slipping into that worldview, right? That I have to watch my own back. With my mouth, I say that I trust the Lord. But with my actions, not as obvious. And then we have life from God. We know some very well-known, famous uh, TV evangelists out there that, that really focus on the blessings of God. Right? And, we, and we call it uh, the, the pastors that, that preach kind of a health and wealth kind of gospel. Right? And, and rather than the true gospel of freedom in Christ that we have even through our sufferings, but these evangelists, they say, God wants you to be rich. Right? God wants you to be healthy all the time. They say that God wants you to be successful at work. He doesn't want you to experience pain and suffering. And you know, the Lord does choose to bless his children in these ways, I agree. But sometimes he allows us to be in that place of discomfort. right? And he uses those circumstances to draw us close to him. Now, I don't usually feel for myself that the Lord ever owes me anything for my obedience. I'm always humbly grateful for what he does and how he provides for us. But I, I do see that I fall into this trap sometimes as well. So, for example, you know, when Albert and I get into a fight, right, or when we go through like a dark season of of, of depression or, or something like that. And, and I think, God, why? Like, we are, as a couple, being obedient to you in, in ministry. Uh, we're serving you. Like, why do you allow us to get into these places? And I get indignant as if it's his fault. And even sometimes in church ministry, right, we see a broken relationship. You know, perhaps somebody gets really sick. You know, or someone gives up on church and their faith in Jesus, and we stop almost with indignation. God, why? Why would you let this happen? As if it's his fault, that he owes me something. So that's living from God. Okay, living for God. I feel like this is perhaps the easiest trap to fall into as a mature believer, right? It's, it's that feeling of needing to earn God's favor, his favor and his acceptance, and, and we try to do things for him. And in our heads, we kind of make his unconditional love, we make it conditional. And I have to admit that pastors make this mistake all the time. We might even preach it at the pulpit. We don't say it in so many words, but I feel like sometimes you're, you're made to feel that to be a good Christian, you have to uh, be on mission. You have to jump through these hoops, like tithe and, and pray and read the Bible, all things that we need to do. And I, I ask for forgiveness if that has ever been my message. But hopefully that as pastors, we've been able to impress upon your hearts that we do these things 
not to earn his favor, not to earn his love, not even to be significant or have a purpose in his kingdom. We do it because it's a source of joy and fulfillment to do it with God. So the fifth posture, which happens to be the title of this book, is with, living with God. In life with God, our goal is not to use God for his blessings or for purpose or for, any, or for acceptance from him. We do not use God. Our goal is God. Like, What is our primary reason to come to church? I feel like sometimes it might be just to pat ourselves on the back and say, see, I'm a good Christian. Or to make ourselves feel good, maybe, maybe a, a short reprieve from the things of this world. Or maybe it's just to feed our mind of spiritual things. But the reason why we come to church should be Jesus. Our reason for living in obedience to the Lord is not so that we can get to heaven. Right? It's so that we can be with God And he is the object of our desire. He is our treasure. So that was a pretty long introduction to my sermon. But I thought that we really needed to grasp these concepts, maybe to review them um, before we go any further. And in this next series that we're on, the pastors will be uh, preaching about about how living with God can totally redefine our relationship with him, especially in different aspects of our faith. So for example, which is the topic for today, how should living with Jesus change the way we view scripture? Living with Jesus, how does that change our relationship with this book? I don't know if you've ever heard this. This is the first time I've heard it before, but some pastors, they say that the Bible is actually an acronym for basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, I think it's kind of cute, right? Cute, but not very Christian. And why do I say that? Um, before I answer that question, let's see Jethani's four postures, how that would be demonstrated in our regard for the Bible. Under. So if I don't read the Bible... I will fall, this is how somebody that lives under God, under him, how they would view the Bible, right? So if I don't read the Bible, what happens? I fall out of favor, perhaps, with God, right? Or perhaps we feel guilty because we're not a good Christian, because we don't know his word, that the Lord would disapprove of me. There's a lot of guilt involved, isn't there? Right? I, I remember hearing from this one uh, person, and she said, every time I open the Bible, I fall asleep. And there's drool marks, like, on so many pages, you know? And, and there's just so much guilt involved with that, you know, that I should be reading this. I should be in love with this, but I'm not. And what about over? So reading the Bible is a, oh, for so if you are living over God, right, so you kind of are in control of your own domain, you think, okay, you know, this is a great source to help me uh, 
get good advice to make decisions or better life choices. Um, maybe it's not even my primary source, but you know, I look towards it as something to consider. Right? That's the posture of living over God. And then living from God, you know, some of us, we read through this, and we know that there's a lot of God's promises in here. Right? And if I just like pray over these promises, um, then I could make it happen and kind of be in control of my own life, unlock secrets for health and wealth. And for God, if you're living for God, perhaps we regard this book as guidelines or a roadmap on how to be significant and how to have purpose in God's kingdom. And I feel like sometimes when we hear these descriptions and explanations, it actually sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? We want to be obedient you know, to the things in this book, don't we? We want good counsel. We want to take a hold of God's promises that he has in here for ourselves. And I think all that is fine. But when all these good things overshadow your want for God himself, that is when it's not okay. What if the purpose for reading the Bible is just to know God, just to know him, right? And to be with him. When you read his word, are you looking for treasure within the principles of this book? Or is God your treasure? Are we looking for his approval, the approval of others, or, or good advice, or instructions, or even a mission? Or is our treasure simply God? So basic instructions before leaving Earth. Why is it unchristian? Because it sounds like the primary motivation to read the Bible is to search for those principles that will help the outcome of our lives of the world around us. So I've also mentioned before, I'm sure, that um, Albert and I, we met online. Uh, and we've saved most of our emails to each other. We've got like 500 pages worth of emails um, that we've kept. And when Albert was living in Taiwan, I was living in Korea at the time, we were falling madly in love with each other uh, through the internet, via internet. I swear, every day, my whole day, kind of revolved around receiving another email from him, right? So I'd jump on the computer and check my inbox, and there'd be like a new email from, from Albert. I'd be like, yes! And, and I'd be utterly thrilled, and I'd read it, and I'd lap it all up, and then I'd read it a second time, and I'd read it a third time. I'm not even joking. You know, I'd start analyzing the words, right? He said this, but did he really mean this? Right? And, and, and I think, when he, when he wrote that, what was he really thinking? Or I'd be thinking, wow, I didn't know that about Albert. That's like so interesting. And I would disregard all the things that I had to do that day and write them back and craft it so carefully and, you know, what we thought was so witty and, and fun. Albert said to me, actually, the other day, he's like, Christine, I pulled out our old emails from like a decade ago, over a decade ago. 
and we were such idiots. <laughs> like, we thought we were funny and deep and philosophical, but we, he, he read them, and he said that, man, we, were, we, we sounded like middle schoolers, like literally. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we viewed God's word like that? That we would read it with such passion and love and, and read it again and again and again, not because we worship the book, but because we want to know Jesus. You know, this book, it's not a book about rules and regulations. It's about relationships. So how are you reading this book? If you've been uh, around Trinity for a while, you've probably heard about this Bible study method that we use in the uh, adult Sunday school class. And it's something that I kind of developed through my uh, studies at seminary. And I think it's a pretty simple method, but for some reason it keeps getting recognition. Um, somebody flew in and, and documented a Sunday school class. It was in uh, the Table magazine. There was a video documentary and an article online and in this magazine. And, and I've been asked to do a workshop on this Bible study method, like in Ohio and Latin American district. Uh, and, and this next month, actually, in June, actually, we're traveling to Indiana for General Assembly where there's like 15,000 Nazarene leaders from all over the world that comes to Indiana for this convention. And they've asked me to teach this workshop uh, a couple of times during that week there. And I just think, man, gosh, you work in such mysterious ways. And every so often, I'll get another email. Christine, could you please send another booklet of, you know, uh, for this Bible study with him? I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, so I want to teach you aspects of this method today. I can't teach you the whole thing, or else we'll be here past lunchtime. Uh, but if you are in, actually, a Wes and Tulane Sunday School class, you know how, to, how this method works. Uh, this is going to be review for you. Um, and so we're going to go through a couple of these tools. So there's a handful of tools that I use, and it kind of helps us to interact with Scripture. And so this is what we're going to do. I hope everybody was able to pick up um, the sheet with God in Scripture. It was in your bulletins. And if you have a pen, that would be great. Um, Sandy over here has got pens in the front that, you know, if you just raise a hand, maybe she can pass it out to you. It's going to be a very interactive process, so prepare yourself. Okay, first tool. Sharpen your observation skills. And you can see it on the top of this page. Sharpen your observation skills. So again, this is like a very simple method. And when I'm in a room full of pastors giving this workshop, I feel really uh, shy and uncomfortable thinking, well, as if these pastors don't know how to do this. But, you know, like presidents of seminaries have asked me for, for this information, which boggles my mind. Um, so I hope, hopefully that will bless you in some way today. Okay. So first of all, sharpen your observation skills. We're going to use a very well-known passage in the Bible, Psalm 23, to do this exercise. And I'm just going to be teaching a couple of the tools today. Because sharpening your observation skills. So one of the most famous sentences, phrases in the Bible is, the Lord is your shepherd. Right? Even if you haven't been raised in the church, you have heard that the Lord is my shepherd. 
And so allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of guide you in this, because if we pray that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom on how to read his word, you know, he, and he will be faithful in that. When saying that, actually, since we're doing this exercise, let's just take a quick moment to, to pray that the Spirit guides each and every one of us in this room. Father God, as we look at your word, Lord, God, as we read the words of your heart, Lord, for us, God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, of your truth, of your love for us. And God, as believers, you have told us that you've given and sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide and our teacher. So Lord, we pray for that Holy Spirit now, that you are the one that guides our thoughts. We thank you for your faithfulness in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so sharpen your observation skills. The first word, let's emphasize each word and see just kind of what sort of thoughts that, that come up. For example, the Lord is my shepherd. So if we really emphasize the word the, the Lord is my shepherd, what sort of thoughts come up for you? And just shout it out. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the only one. It's not a Lord is my shepherd. It is the Lord or the Lord, the one and only, right? The Lord. Anybody else? Okay, what about the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord. If we emphasize the word Lord, what is that? What points come out of your, what thoughts? Say again. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, right? The Lord. Anything else? Pardon? He's the what? Leader. leader. Yes, he is the leader. The Lord. Leader. What else? That's what I'm focusing on. That's my focus. Okay, that's my focus. The Lord. The Lord is my focus. Sherry? Heavenly Father. You know, we might take something different, each of us, from what that word Lord means. And Sherry, she feels it's the Heavenly Father. What else? Anything else? <coughs> the one that I follow, the person in charge, you know, my master. Right? Good. Okay, what about the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. It's not in the past. Not, it's not the Lord was my shepherd in the past. The Lord is right now, presently. What else? Okay, so in everything. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. Anything else? How about the Lord is as a fact, right? It's not the Lord might be my shepherd. He is. It's an absolute fact. There's no gray or doubt about it. It is, or he is. Okay, what about the Lord is my shepherd? Pardon? He loves me. All right, what else? The Lord is my shepherd. 
It's very personal, right? It is very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. That is true. But the fact that we can say the Lord is my shepherd is just so profound. Anything else? Pardon? I own it. Okay? I own it. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I own, not that we own the Lord, but that, that, that role that we have. Like, it is ours for the taking, for the keeping. Okay? What about the Lord is my shepherd? If you know a little, about, a little bit about, you know, shepherd culture, this could mean some very deep things to you. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. What do you get from that? He watches over us. He protects us. What else? Pardon? My leader. Pardon? He leads me to food. I would die without him. Ah, he takes care of every need, right? Every need. And there's some things we can actually study about uh, the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. So, for example, if you're at a watering hole and there's, like, three shepherds and they have, like, three different herds and they're all mixed in together, right? The shepherd just has to say one word, whatever it is, giddy up, I don't know what it is, (laughs) one shepherd-like word, and all the sheep know his voice and they will follow him, right? So what does that entail about our relationship with our shepherd? Yeah. And even if a shepherd has 100 sheep, he knows them, each of them. He, they look all the same to us, right? You know, even more than Asians look the same. Sheep, they look the same to me, right? I'm sorry, was that... <laughs> Anyways, right? I mean, this sheep is Frank. This sheep is so-and-so. Like, the, the shepherd knows each one personally, right? So the Lord is my shepherd. And then we put that all together. The Lord is my shepherd. The, the one and only Lord who is the creator of the universe is, not even maybe, but he is my personal shepherd the one who protects me, the one who knows me. And see how this exercise has changed that one sentence to something so deep and personal and profound. So this is one of the tools. Sharpen your observation skills. Okay, another tool that we use in class is to use multiple translations. To use multiple translations. The most worldly, like what we use most generally speaking in in most of the places, the NIV. But there's a lot of other translations, the NASB, the NIRV, the CEV, NLT, the message. And they kind of serve a different purpose, each of them. Like NASB is like the most direct translation to the original Greek or Hebrew. And so a lot of scholars will use the NASB. The NLT is a little more feely, touchy. So people will use that for like a devotional. Um, The message is very... Very easy English, um, and so it's much more relatable for probably the, the unchurched. And so there's these different translations, and I and I put a, a link on this sheet, this page, and 
And so what I have there, NIV, NASB, NIRV, CEV, and NLT, they all kind of pop up on the screen all at the same time, side by side. So I can kind of read it. It's, it's called a parallel, right? So we use this parallel version. So we can kind of see the differences, right? And why do we do this? It's because sometimes the English language has its limitations, right? And sometimes what the original author that in the Greek intended cannot be really uh, demonstrated or, or, or just uh, given in the, the, the simple English. And so hence all these different translations. And so... How do we use this? Uh, for example, here it is in the NIV. This is the first three verses of uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And so the first thing that I would do is I sharpen my observation skills, and I'd look at some of the words and think, well, what does that really mean to me? And, and I'll jot down some notes on that. And then when I'm using the second tool of using multiple translations, I would pop, might pop up, uh, this is the NASB, and I highlighted for you some of the words that kind of, uh, for me, it, it kind of, I, I notice it more because of the difference between the NIV. So for example, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So if I look at this, then I kind of highlight some of the words that are different, and I think, well, what does this kind of mean to me? Like, what, these differences, does it speak to me in any way? So for example, the fact that it says, I shall not want in the NASB rather than I lack nothing, does that say anything to you? And if so, what? What does it say to you? Yeah, cares. You know, no, no worries needed here. You know, anything else? I lack nothing versus I shall not want. Like I lack nothing. I shall not want is more like your personal act. Like there's an action behind it that makes sense. Like I no longer want. Yeah, so Alex is saying, you know, I lack nothing. That's just a state of being, but, but I shall not want. I mean, not only do I lack nothing, I shall not actually want for it. You know, like that new car or, you know, those 12th pair of shoes or, or whatever. That wanting is not there if the Lord is my shepherd, right? Okay, what about the word restores? And if you want to contrast that to the word refreshes, does that say anything to you? Refreshes versus restores. So refresh is just like maybe a sprinkle, a spray, or something that's just you know, maybe even momentary, right? But restore, it's permanent. There's something more long-term in that, isn't it? Like restore rather than just refresh. 
Anything else? You're no longer in turmoil, you're in peace, this restoration. You experience peace. Yeah, very good. Pardon? There's a change, right? That refresh, like for a moment, you're just refreshed. But restore, there is a permanent change there, isn't there? Like new again, right? Made new. Good. And what about paths of righteousness versus the right paths? can just mean not the wrong path, right? You're going the right path. This is the right way. Go ahead. Whereas the path of righteousness, right? The path of righteousness is something so different. And so in class, we would compare these different translations and then um, take notes on it. Uh, Okay, so that is using different translations. I was going to go through the exercise for you guys to look at the other parts, the other translations. Uh, we don't have, I don't think we'll have much time for that. But it is such a great uh, just exercise to do when you're studying the Word of God. Really good. Something that we're not going to talk about today in, class, uh, in, in service because it's really difficult to explain without using a website, but it's the interlinear Greek or Hebrew. This is what I use all the time when I'm sermon, sermon prepping. There are a lot of free uh, apps online where you can find the original Greek or the original Hebrew in the passages that you're studying. And uh, like I said, the, the, uh, sometimes the English language is not, uh, there's limitations in what it can really convey. And so looking at the original intent of each of the words is really, really good. For example, I'll just give a quick example. The word. Uh, to, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Lie down in Greek is yarbiseni or something like that. And it doesn't just, ne- just doesn't simply mean to lie down. It means to like stretch oneself out. And that kind of draws a picture in my head, right? Because when I lie down and I'm in fetal position, you know, I feel like I'm protecting myself or whatever. But when I'm stretched out, I only do that when I feel safe. Right? I only stretch out when, when I feel like I'm in a place where I don't have to protect myself. So when I read that in the original Greek, I think, you know, whoa, like it just draws another picture in my head, right? So I love looking at the original language for, for the passages. If you want to know a little bit more about that, I encourage you to join Weston Tallinn Sunday School class. It's at 9.30 in the morning on Sundays. And, um, and they'll teach you some of those tools. So we usually have a notebook, notebook in that class. And so I kind of color code it. Like the green will be, uh, what is it, the original Greek. Uh, the red will be different translations. The blue will be just things that the Lord just kind of shows me uh, when I sharpen my observation skills. And I just kind of write it all out like that. And in class, when we did this, people would get really excited. And we, our minds would be uh, filled with all these spiritual truths and people thought, oh my gosh, I did not, I was never able to read the Bible like this before. You know, and it was so 
good. But then after some classes of this, I realized that we were really falling in love with God's word, but it didn't really transform our hearts, right? So, so we added another element to this method, God's love notes. Now, in God's love notes, we, in class, typically, we just kind of play a little bit of music, you know, just you know, Spotify or something like that. And reading some of all these, uh, the notes that, that we wrote down in our notebooks, we would allow the Lord to speak to us. Now, this is where the with comes, living with God in scripture. We would allow the Lord to speak to us personally. What was he saying to us? And we were actually bold enough to put it in God person. And what do I mean by that? I wouldn't write it to God. I wouldn't be saying, God, thank you that you lead me to quiet pastors or, or whatever. What we would do is write it as if God was writing it to us. Right? And I found that. I've, I've done it both ways. And I found that every time I did that, it impacted me so much more. So for example, it'd be like, Christine, I am your Lord. I am your shepherd. I protect you. I watch over you. I know you so well, Christine. And in me, you lack nothing. Not only do you lack nothing, you don't even want. You are not in want for anything. And when you get stressed, Christine... I let you lie down in those green pastures, not scrunched up, protecting yourself, but you are in this beautiful green pasture where you can stretch out and trust me. And Christine, I lead you to quiet waters. Christine, I want rest for you so much. I want to restore your soul. When you feel dry, when you feel depleted, I want to refresh you. So something like that. Right? And I want us to kind of go to this exercise together. I've asked Gloria to play a little bit of music. You have, if you have your pen, I want you to read through these verses, maybe even the different translations if you'd like, and read it with the Lord. Right? Do not separate this from your relationship with God. This is not just head knowledge or, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can understand. It is, I don't think I'll be good enough. To, it is none of that. It's, Lord, you promised me wisdom when I asked for it. Reveal to me what you are saying to me personally through this. So this, let's take a couple of minutes and let the Lord speak to you through these verses and write it down. So I hope the Lord revealed something to you just now, something for just you. And I thank him because almost every time I do this, even if I've done this a gazillion times, he always gives me something new. In the NIRV, it says, he guides me in the right paths for the honor of his name. And the reason why this this speaks to me right now is because I'm a little bit at a crossroads 
in my life regarding something. And, and I realized that the Lord is guiding me to the right path, not necessarily for my comfort, not necessarily for my ambition, not necessarily for um, anything that I can perceive for myself, that he is guiding me for his honor. For his honor. So, how am I going to respond? Right? God spoke it to me. He says, Christine, for my honor, I am leading you to the right path. And how will I respond? And so in our notebook, in the Sunday school class that I'm talking about, there's a little section where you write a response. God, I will trust you that wherever you lead me, God, it will be such a path of awesomeness. I can't even think of a better word. Because it will be for his honor. What gives God honor? <clears throat> right? Only the things that are holy and good. Right? And so the path that the Lord takes me on will be filled with his goodness. So thank you, Lord Jesus. I will be faithful. The last thing, the last tool that we use in this class, the rule of life. What is the rule of life? It originated with uh, St. Benedict, where in his monastery they kind of had um, certain rules of personal and communal living uh, what's, what we can call spiritual disciplines, right? Spiritual disciplines. It's a rule of life where it kind of functions like a scaffold, right, in a, in a garden, where it kind of gives the plant structure to, to grow properly. So the rule of life, uh, what it would look like in my circumstance right now, would say this. Okay, God, whenever I doubt, when I'm walking this path and I doubt, I am just going to remember that you're leading me for, for your glory, for your honor. Right? When I get stressed out right, and anxious and, and filled with doubts, Lord, my rule of life is I'm just going to open up the Bible, maybe go back to my notes in this section and just reread it again. Rule of life. I feel like sometimes we can go through reading scripture without really falling in love with God, right? There, there are some great example. Just great example are the Pharisees. They knew the Bible. The Pharisees, the, the leaders uh, during ancient Hebrew time, they knew the, fir the first five books, what we call the Torah in the Old Testament, they had to memorize everything word for word. They had such a high regard for God's word, right? And they spent time just parsing each word and, and think about all the different minutest detail of how to be obedient to the Lord. Because they believed that if you obeyed every little tiny thing, that God would bless th their nation again. Because, because Israel was not in a good place. They knew God's word, but they did not know God. They did not know the Savior, 
right? And, and Jesus says in John 5, verses 39 to 40, he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, about Jesus. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. When you read this book, do you sometimes mentally just separate it from who the Lord is in your life? Do you read it because you're obligated to, or do you read it to try to understand and fill your mind with these spiritual principles, or do we read it because we find Jesus in here? Do you love God's word because you love God? I want to read, just to close, I just want to read excerpts from Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is like by far the longest psalm in, in all of the, the book of Psalms. Uh, and, and the author, uh, he is writing, it's almost like an acronym, like every Hebrew letter of the alphabet, he uses that letter and kind of writes a poem or something about God's word, right? Um, and he uses different words for God's word, like he uses the word law, he uses the word commandments, um, he uses the word statutes, um, precepts, decrees. And so whenever you hear these kind of words, just know in your head that he's talking about the Bible, scripture, okay? So let me just read some parts of it. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law, right? The, the word, scripture, of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, that I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. It, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I am run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Again, you see his relationship with scripture, but, but really his relationship with God through scripture. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. 
I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I give you thanks, Lord, for your word. Right? This is with God. It is not for God. It is with him. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. I'll read just one more section. It goes on for paragraph to paragraph. Just one more. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. Do you love the Lord's word? Do you love scripture? Are you intimidated by this because it's so hard to understand? I am hoping that these simple tools um, will just help you interact with, with God's word and, and draw you closer to him. If you want to have a conversation about this, you know, maybe kind of uh, need help removing some obstacles to his word, come talk to me. You know, go talk to Wes and Helene and the people in his class. You know? Let's pray. Father God, this book, we should be running to it and just hungry, Lord, to understand. Father God, that in your goodness that you would write a love letter to your people. God, that we can understand more and more of your heart. And you've said, Lord, that you've hidden truth. You've hidden wise words from wise people. Lord, that it gives you delight, Lord, to give it to the simple. Lord, so may we not feel intimidated or anxious about reading your word, Lord, that, that your promise is to help us, Lord, to understand, God, that that should be encouragement to us, Father. God, the women in the women's ministry, <clears throat> Lord, in the flyers that were passed out, there's these opportunities to know more about you through your word, Bible studies, mentoring program. Lord, I pray that the women of this church may rise up and be women of your word, Lord. God, that we may know your word. Father, they would take advantage of these opportunities and I know the men's ministry that they would be doing likewise God move your people to know you through your word that we may not be illiterate father God of your ways 
in, in scripture, Lord. God, I pray that this week, Lord, that we just, uh, that each of us would have time to read, Lord, and that we can trust your faithfulness, that you would show up each time in fellowship with us. Just thank you for your faithfulness through scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.